I'm going to walk you through several verses today. It's 12, 12 minutes till 10, and I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I can. But I really, as I was preparing for this, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to walk our church through this. Not a lot of funny stories. Um, how many enjoyed uh, Chuck Tate last week, speaking of funny stories? And uh, Chuck's a fantastic guy, did a great job. And I noticed that his book went to a third printing this week, 41 Will Come. So God's just absolutely blessing that project. Um, so it, he did a great job communicating. I might be a little dry today, but, I'm gonna go, but God's word isn't. And I'm going to walk you through some verses real quickly because I know the Lord wanted me to release this to our local house. And that's why I'm doing it. We're talking about foundations. It's a mini-series. It'll be this week and next week. There is a very strong DNA that makes up Faith Chapel. How many have only been here a few times and you can already feel some of the DNA at Faith Chapel? I hope you can. Worship is very important to us. Um, I remember a season that we had at Faith Chapel, we would go into a time of worship and I would look up and an hour or an hour and 10 minutes had went by. How many were here for that season? You know exactly what I'm talking about. It was, it was just absolutely amazing as God was doing something fresh and different and it was the quickest hour or hour and 10 minutes of my life every week. It just would fly by. Worship's a huge part of who we are. There's several things that make up the DNA of Faith Chapel. I'm going to talk more about them next week. But I wanted to help release those, especially to those that have joined us in the last few months. And you go, what's the, what's the DNA? What's the foundation of this place completely all about? And as I started digging into this, the Lord started showing me things that he wanted me to release for all of us. So look in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. The first few references I typed out of the uh, 1984 edition of the NIV. Since they don't have this one online anymore, if there are any grammatical errors or misspellings, we'll just say that it was me since I actually typed this one in rather than copying and pasting, okay? So this is what the sovereign Lord says. Sovereign means that the, the God that is rule over everything, the God that rules it all says this. Quote, see I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. Anybody remember uh, singing the I lay in Zion for a foundation of stone? Remember that old song? Um, that came to my mind as I was digging through this. This verse was given 700 years before Jesus Christ came to the earth. Talk about a prophecy that you had to wait for the fulfillment of, okay? So if you feel like you've been waiting for a few weeks, hang in there. 700 years before Jesus came, this prophecy was given, and God's the one that gave it, and that's why Isaiah quoted him. These are the words of the Lord, that I'm laying a stone in Zion. Now, I immediately have already said, hey, this was written 700 years before Jesus came, which means I've already given you my theology. I didn't even mean to, but I already have, haven't I? Because I am saying by default that stone represents Jesus. Anybody else kind of hear it that way? Okay, I'm already saying that. But if you're reading this for the first time, you might not have a clue what he's talking about. The Israelites might not have really known what God was saying. I mean, anybody that's ever done any construction knows you've got to have a good foundation for the structure to stand the test of time. If you're going to build uh, close to the coastal area, you've got to go deep for a foundation so that you can have structures that'll stand the test. So when we talk about stone, when we talk about rock, obviously something solid that we can build upon. 
Now, I believe it's referring to Jesus, and I think Isaiah actually confirmed that in Isaiah chapter 8. Let's look there, verses 13 through 14. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. Now, remember, holy means to be separate. So God is separate. You can't compare anything to him. You can't say, God, you're as big as the mountains when he spoke them into existence, right? God is separate. You're the one that we regard as holy. The Lord Almighty, he is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary for both houses of Israel. He will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. What an interesting word. Once again, there's a prophetic word given about what God is, what the Lord Almighty is. And I don't have an issue with any of this. The Lord Almighty is holy. The Lord Almighty is the one I'm to fear. The Lord Almighty is the one that we should dread. The Lord Almighty is the sanctuary. But the Lord Almighty is the stone. All of this keeps referring back to the opening phrase, the Lord Almighty. Adonai El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. He's a stone. He's a rock. Now, it's interesting because as Isaiah gave the prophecy, he shared the word that some people were going to trip over this stone. Anybody else ever stumbled? Anybody else ever stepped on a Lego at 3 a.m.? God saved the queen. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there, there is nothing like the pain of a plastic toy in the middle of the living room floor when you didn't know it was there. Can I get a hallelujah on that? I mean, if you've been there, you know what I mean. Cut my head off, but do not let me step on a plastic Lego. That could be absolutely horrible, right? So, and as, as this word was given, God's going to be a stone. He's going to, he is the stone. He is holy. He is sacred. He's the sanctuary. He's the rock, but you're going to trip over him. You're going to stumble over him. You're not going to understand his ways. You're going to miss the indications of who he is. And boy, didn't they trip over Jesus when he came. So the Lord's separate. He's to be feared and honored. He's a sanctuary. He's a stone the Jews would trip over. And he would actually cause people to fall down. So our theology is accurate. When we talk about the Lord giving us a stone, we're talking about himself. He is the one that we build our lives upon. We understand that. So back to Isaiah 28, verse 16. So, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I lay a stone in Zion, and he describes that stone. What kind of stone is the Lord? The Lord is a tested stone. You can trust him. He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. God doesn't fail his people. God doesn't fail his promises. God doesn't fail his word. He's been tested. He's been tried. He's been proven true. As a matter of fact, even when Jesus was on this planet, they had a false witness. Many come against him with false testimony, and none of the false testimonies from the false witnesses could stick because he was tested and he was true. He's a tested stone. He's a precious stone. John 3, 16, every one of you can quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He's precious. He's a cornerstone. 
He's the, he's the stone that receives the glory. When a building is erected, there is a cornerstone to the glory of God built on this day, established in this moment. It's the one that we look at. It's, it's the one that gets the glory. Jesus is the one that holds everything together. He is the cornerstone. He's the one that sets the size of this house. We serve a rock. We serve a stone. We serve a tested stone, a precious stone, and a cornerstone that we can trust in. The Apostle Paul picked up on this language in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. He said to his young son in the faith, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Now, there's a nevertheless because of what was taking place right before he made this statement. There were a couple of gentlemen that were pulling people out of the church that, that Timothy was leading and giving guidance to, uh, Phileas and Hematus, if I remember correctly. They were pulling people away. They say that the resurrection had already taken place and they were destroying the faith of people. In other words, they were saying, hey, those 500 people that appeared are those, those people that rose when Jesus rose. They've been rescued and saved because they were dead when he rose, so they rose too, but none of us are going to rise. And they were destroying the, the faith of others, telling them that there wasn't a hope in the resurrection. And Paul is providing correction in the letter, and he says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, and it's sealed with this inscription. In other words, don't believe what these bozos are saying about the resurrection, Trust in what God is saying. And this is what God says. Quote, the Lord knows those who are his. God spoke that word. I know my people. I know my beloved. I know who my children are. How many of you don't have to even completely see your children in a crowd to pick them out of that crowd? You know, you know the walk. You know what they look like. You know what their hair's like when they haven't brushed it yet. You recognize them. You recognize their cough. You know, this is a word for intimacy. We know things about one another. I've known about Emma's dimple on her chin from the moment that she was born. It's just, I'm like, oh, that's my kid. And that's not going to go away. And I know that about her. The Lord knows us. He's called us by name. He's inscribed us in the palm of his hand. Nobody can take you out of that place doesn't matter what's going on in the nations. No one's going to rob you. You are God's possession. You belong to him. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, this isn't a requirement to know the Lord. This is because we confess his name, we've turned from other things. The more I focus on him, the less my mind's consumed with other stuff. Now, Paul, this is just another thought that he had in his first letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. He says this, although I hope to come to you soon, and I love that we literally have this portion of God's word because Paul didn't think he was going to be make it, able to visit Timothy in a, in a soon amount of time, so he wrote this instead. It's like, I really wanted to just come share this with you. Have you ever been waiting for a conversation with someone, but everybody's lives are so busy you can never have it? So you're like, I actually wanted to sit down and have a conversation, but I guess I'm just going to have to shoot them an email, okay? I guess I'll just text them, LOL, great, be right back, right? I mean, come on. 
Paul's like, I wanted to come spend some time with you. I don't know if it's going to happen. So I'm writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to co conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So I'm writing these things to you because we, we need to know how to conduct ourselves. We need to know how to do these things. Once again, this was at the end of giving descriptions about what we needed to look for when it came to elders within a congregation. This is kind of summing up. If you're looking for good eldership, if you're looking for good leadership, here are some things that we can pay attention to. And the reason that he gave those things is because those that have really had an encounter with the Lord, their life are going to reflect these things. Because they're walking with God, you're going to see that these are things that are taking place within their life. And he listed those things. Once again, it wasn't requirement to please God. It was because I know God and I'm confessing his name and I've been sealed with his inscription. This just becomes a part of who I am. But with all that said, there's some really heavy revelation in this verse. Notice what he says here. People ought to know how to conduct themselves I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So people are God's household. We're, isn't our body a temple of the Holy Spirit? He, he's not just living in this sanctuary when we drive away. He goes with every single one of us. He's living within us. We're his household. And the household of God is the church of the living God. There's another reminder that he's not dead. He's very much alive. He's resurrected. He's king. But the church is also the pillar and the foundation of truth. You see, people are God's household. And God's household is the church of the living God. And the church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of truth. What's the foundation of truth? The church. What's the church? God's house. What's God's house? God's people. Who's the foundation and pillar? We are the foundation and pillar. Think about it. If the church isn't offering the foundation and pillar of truth, the house, the culture, the nation will, become, will always become unstable. Jesus is the rock foundation. He is the stone, and the stone that many people will trip over, stumble over, and they won't understand. But he does such a transformative work within the lives of a believer that not only is Jesus my stone and my rock that I build my life on, but Ephesians 2.20, I didn't put it in here, I'll just share it if you want to jot it down. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So Paul said the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets. The apostles are those that have been sent. The prophets are those that speak a timely word. Who are the apostles but those that have been saved by the grace of God? 
Who are the prophets but those that have been saved by the grace of God? The apostles were murderers. They were liars. They were fornicators. They were thieves. They were people that didn't do the right thing, but they were, had an encounter with God and their lives were changed. Who were the prophets? They were people that were living for their own selfish interests, their own selfish gain for their lives and for the lives of their families and not anybody else, but they were transformed. And now literally they're the foundation of the church. People are the foundation of the church. People that have been transformed transformed by the power of God, apostles and people like you and me, even though we stand on the stone that is Jesus, we stand on the rock that is Adonai, the Lord Almighty, people stand on us because we've been transformed into a foundation and a foundation that's a pillar, a pillar of truth. If the church isn't offering the foundation and pillar of truth, the house, the culture, the nation will always become unstable. The problem in the United States isn't that sinners live here. The problem is that more Christians would rather partner with selfish desires, carnal living, and not walk a life of surrender before the Lord that has allowed our nation to get to the place that it's at today anyway. The problem with the nation is that Christians need to stand for truth and we don't even like what we read in the scriptures anymore. We don't. It, we're so inundated by our, by our culture that those of us that love God can read verses and be highly offended by what they say. Now thankfully they're changing them and we're not gonna be offended by them much longer. And there's a lot of sarcasm in that statement. Our Bibles are being changed. Little by little, they're changing the verses. They're changing the interpretation. If certain leaders have their way, we won't even be allowed to speak God's word in a public gathering without facing the opportunity of being arrested for doing so. And it's happened on our watch. It's happened on our watch. You know what's amazed me since John Smith was raised from the dead, uh, what, almost two years ago? How many Christians that have expected me to convince them that it really happened? I mean, we all lived it. We saw it. We experienced it. I've had people, are you serious? Come on. How long was he? Are you sure it's just because the water wasn't cold enough? And they start, I'm like, Wow. Christians have a hard time not only walking by faith, but celebrating when they hear a miracle that even happened. We're just as cynical as everybody else is. I remember one guy said to me, he goes, what did the doctor say? And I said, the doctor said it was a miracle. And he said, well, he's an idiot. That wasn't a heathen. Wasn't a pagan. It was a brother in the faith. If the church of Jesus can't believe in the resurrection, what hope is there for the world? If the church of Jesus can't believe that we actually carry the Holy Spirit and have the authority of the kingdom, do you recognize that if we're going to be a church that is standing on the stone, but also a stone that others can stand upon, that religion's going to trip over us? People are going to struggle with who we are. 
You all claim to be such people of authority and people of power, and yet look at the life you live. Look at the facilities that you have. Look at the struggles that you have. Don't judge us by the size of our facility. Judge us by the size of our anointing. And demons run when we walk into the room because we believe the power of God can be unleashed and transform any life at any moment permanently in the name of Jesus. Now, if we aren't offering the foundation of truth, because the church is the pillar of truth, if we're not offering it, this is what will always happen. I'm going to share seven things with you, and I've sped to get here so that hopefully I can give you all seven. If you like to jot them down, do. I'm never offended if you take a picture of it and so that you can have it, whatever works for you. These seven, if, if we are not living as the foundation of truth that God's called us to be, this will always happen. And I'll let you know where I got them. We're getting ready to turn to the book of Revelation. And we're going to pick out one negative characteristic from each of the seven churches that the Holy Spirit spoke to. Seven is a number of completion. I think it's interesting that the Lord spoke to seven churches. There is no doubt that there were individual messages for each church because what another church in our area might need to hear today could be completely different than what we need to hear. So I understand that, but I also know that the Lord knew when he gave this to John that these letters were gonna, this letter was going to be distributed to all the churches. So <laughs> talk about accountability. Wow, they're going to get to hear what he said about us, okay? So this was shared with all of them. But if we aren't offering the foundation of truth, this always happens. Number one, the church will walk away from her first love. Just never fails. Revelation 2.4. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, I went NIV rather than 1984 here. I was saving myself on the typing. And honestly, this one just changes a little bit the way that it really should read because it's, you've forsaken the, your first love. You've, have you ever heard people talk about losing their first love? Okay, you don't lose it if you know where it is. You only lose it if you can't find it. So none of us have lost our first love, but a lot of us have forsaken him. We used to be motivated to, to worship him, to be in his presence. We, we couldn't wait to share about his grace and his mercy with somebody else. And we get caught up in the cares of life and the trials and the struggles. And we all face them. Every one of us do. We also were in a spiritual battle. How many of you know that? <laughs> you live in a spiritual battle and it's wearisome and it's frustrating. There are times I feel like, Lord, do I have to intercede again? Really, again? But you see, before I'm called to minister, before I'm called to lead and admin and strategize and prophesy, I'm just called to be with him and to know him. In Mark chapter 3, it says, he appointed 12, designating them apostles. And the first thing that it said was that they might be with him. And then he might send them out to preach and to heal the sick and to drive out devils. But the driving out the devils, the healing of the sick, and the preaching all started after, first of all, just being with him. Life's busy. I get it. There are times that I just want to sit down and spend time with Beth without talking about the church 
are talking about our schedules, are talking about the next thing that we need to be lined up for. There are times I just want to spend time with her. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Just, just to not always have an agenda. You realize that church is so agenda-driven now, we hardly give people any time to be with Jesus. And we might even amen that, and yet we get uncomfortable when worship goes for longer than 35 minutes because none of us are used to it. We're just not. We, we're multitasking. We've got the TV on while we're looking at Facebook. Who would be honest enough to say, yeah, there's lots of times the TV's on while I'm still looking at social media. How many are doing Some of you are pointing at others, okay? All right, thank you. Yes, yes, they do. They do. We're multitasking. It's become more difficult. You can read all the statistics. I don't typically start shooting statistics at you. It's not that I don't read them. But you can read all the statistics. It's not just the millennials. We're all getting so used to it that it's very difficult just to focus on one thing at a time. And when you come into a moment of worship, the Lord isn't really wanting you to be checking your text messages. He would actually enjoy that time with you. Tell you what, 30 minutes of trying to focus and just worship when it's not a part of our consistent life, that can almost feel like an eternity. And yet that's my first love. You could, you could just sense his presence in this room today, and I wanted to sense his presence, and I want you to get to sense his presence. Pastor Josh started singing, man, that was so prophetic. When he started, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that he's sensitive. Just sing it, and God, let everybody receive what's being sung. Let them just receive it right now. It's about our first love. There are church services now that it's 45 minutes in and out. And it's not time for me to just start dogging them about time because it's not about time. Because I've also seen the Lord just heal people in a moment. When I thought it would take a long time to pray for somebody, the Lord's like, no, you don't have the time, just bless them. It's amazing to me. So I, it, it, I'm just challenging us with the settling down and just listening to his voice and knowing him. The church will walk away from her first love. And by the way, in Revelation 2, and I'm not going to name all the churches, they did a lot of great things, but they weren't loving him. Number two, if we're not offering the foundation of church, the church will yield to fear. Always. Revelation 2.10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And I say it to you, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. You will suffer. We're not going to be the only Christians in the world that don't. It's not just going to be those of us that live in mid-America that's going to be kept safe from the rest of the trials that Christians face. You might as well prepare yourself. I tell you, the devil, he'll put some of you in prison to test you. You'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. The enemy cannot take away what God's already established in you. Never be afraid to speak for Jesus. Never be afraid to speak for him. If the church isn't walking in truth, the church will yield to fear. If we don't believe that he raises the dead, if we don't believe that he's, he's always with me and he's in me, if we don't believe that he has the authority to do anything at any time, if we don't believe he spoke it all into existence, we will yield to fear. There's a lot of things in the natural for you to be afraid of. 
And a lot of the postings on social media, and if you follow a Twitter feed, there is so much fear right now. People are scared. They're scared for their nation. They're scared for their retirement. They're scared for the cultures. They're scared for the next out. They're scared. We can't be the people that are afraid. We can't be. It doesn't matter who's elected. It doesn't matter what takes place. We are people of faith, and we calm the storm. We calm the storm. We can't be afraid to speak for truth. We can't be afraid to speak for truth. Mark Hollander said to me years ago, and it has so impacted me, that the value of life is so minimal in our nation that you can kill a puppy and go to jail and you can kill a baby and go to lunch. I've never forgot that. And this isn't a moment of condemnation for any of us for our past failures and sins. But as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we not speak for life? How do we not stand in the gap? I mentioned something yesterday. I wasn't going to go here today, but I'll go there anyway. When people say that it's their body and they can do whatever they want to with their own body, that's a complete fallacy. None of us can do what we want to with our own body. Nobody has the right to walk in here with a gun and start shooting us with their own finger. Nobody has the right to do that. None of us have the right to drive 120 miles an hour on the way to get here for church today. If you're caught, you're going to pay a price for it. We, don't, we already live, we know that we don't have the right to do whatever we want. We just don't. My rights end when it t- comes to touching somebody else's life and impacting them. And that baby might be in that lady's body, but that baby is very much its own. Yeah. It's, it not, it's not her, it's in her for a season. We've got to speak up for that, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, is there any reason? We all know, don't we? We get it. The reason that the enemy wants babies destroyed is because the very first promise was to be fruitful and... That's the first promise. It's the first promise. I'll move on. I know I'm scattered, but we're not on web stream, so I don't have to look like I know what I'm doing. Number three. (laughs) The church will hold to idolatry and sexual immorality. For aren't often the foundation of truth. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Balaam was a false prophet, and he led the people to idolatry and sexual immorality to say, it just doesn't matter anymore. Mom, dad, it doesn't matter. Everybody's having sex before they're married. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I kept myself until I got married, but now, I've been, now that I've been divorced, it's okay that I can sleep around with other people before I get married again. That's no big deal. I waited the first time. I mean, once you're there and you've lived it, how do you even go with that kind of self-control until you're married again, Right? Listen, sexual morality, this isn't a moment where I'm throwing stones at you. This is a moment where I'm saying, we are the stinking stone. We're the rock. We're the foundation of truth. God's word says that every sin that you commit are outside your body. But when you start sinning sexually, you're sinning against yourself. 
I hear people, HIV is the judgment of God. No. It's you reap what you sow. You, re you sow to the flesh, you sow to the flesh, you participate in the corruption, you pay a price for it. I'm sure every one of us have sown to the flesh in ways and we know it and we pay a price for it. Whatever it may be, we do. The enemy wants to entice people to idolatry and sexual immorality. You know why he wants God's people living there? Because it's the way the rest of the world is already living and then they can come in and find out that we're just like they are. But now they have a clean conscience because at least I go to church. You know one of the things that helps me to be careful with my eyes with what I see on the internet? First of all, I'm scared of my wife. Okay? Secondly, I couldn't stand the thought of looking my daughters in the face. And thirdly, I really believe God's word when it says that what you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. It will be. So when I click on Instagram and I hashtag something for the church and then I clicked on that hashtag to see what was going on there and the first thing that I saw was this naked butt right in front of me, you know what I didn't do? I didn't click on the picture to get a better view. I've seen a butt before. I have a butt. I live with three other people that have butts as well. I don't need to look at somebody else's. And I know that if I click on that thing, there's going to be something in me that the, the hair on the back of my neck's going to stand up and there's going to be a draw to click on the next one and to go farther and to go deeper and then to go, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. You all know what temptation's like. You all face it. Right? We've got to have the self-control. We're the pillar of truth. It'd be a little hypocritical to challenge you to walk in purity and then to stand up here as a hypocrite looking at stuff that I shouldn't look at. I'll tell you something. We'll have a little comedy relief moment for just a second. I walked into the closet the other day. Beth was laying on her stomach looking at her phone and she was posting stuff. And you know how on Instagram you have all the little pictures? The first little picture was a butt. And I walked in, I went, oh, you're looking at porn. I knew it was you, I knew it was you. You know, she's like, I didn't even see that. I'm like, yeah, sure, you didn't see that. You realize I can't share this on the web stream because she could lose her license for that right now. So if you want to hold that over her head. We're living in a day and age where we can't just say, don't look. We have to say, when you see it, this is how you handle it. Because it pops up all the time in the craziest of ways. Anybody else say, yeah, it does. You've got to be able to handle it. In the church of the last days, we have to make sure that we're, oh, let's move on. Number four, I hope that you're jotting these down. Let the Holy Spirit convict you the way he's convicted me. If we're not walking as the foundation of truth, the church will let the spirit of Jezebel have freedom. Never, nevertheless, I have this against you, Revelation 2.20. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to idols. Notice how Jezebel works so hand-in-hand hand with Balaam. It just, work, it just works so hand-in-hand. And so you've got a spirit. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a pastor having an affair and it ended up being another lady on staff or his admin or secretary? Have you ever heard that? 
You're like, why does this always happen? It is strategic of the enemy to try to put, put a controlling spirit within a local house to bring destruction to that pastor and his family, ultimately to bring destruction to the entire household. If you've ever heard, if you've done any charismatic teaching or if you've read, there's so many books about the Jezebel spirit, I could do a, I could do a two-month study. I'm not going to do that today. I just want you to know it is very much alive. Jezebel stood against the prophets of God. She had them arrested. She persecutes the genuine. If you're ever in a local house and you know this person is a genuine worshiper and you've known it for 10 years and they're a genuine leader and somebody comes alongside you and they start dropping little hints that they're not as genuine as you thought that they were, you need to guard yourself. That person could be partnering with a Jezebel spirit. You've got to guard yourself. Works hand in hand with Absalom. Remember Absalom? Oh, my dad doesn't have time for you, but come listen to me. I wish that I was appointed as the representative. I could actually take care of this for you. If we're not walking in truth, Jezebel will have her freedom, not at Faith Chapel. Amen. Number five, if we're not walking as truth, the church will be powerless. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. It's amazing that God would use that imagery for his own church because I can't imagine anything in the church dying because it's the church of the living God. And yet he says, strengthen what is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Wake up. We're, we're there. We, we live in a powerless generation. We live in a powerless church. If you ever wonder, and I feel like Faith Chapel goes through a lot of spiritual warfare and attack, and it's because I, I firmly believe we actually believe in the authority and the power of God, and the enemy targets places like that because most churches don't. They just don't. Not throwing rocks at them. I'm just saying let's be the rock and let's be, stand on the authority that we've been given. Number six, if we don't know our identity and stand in the, or if we don't stand as a pillar of truth, the church will forfeit her position and authority. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have, meaning that if you don't, you can let go of it so that no one will take your crown the crown is reflective of position as sons and daughters of the king, and it's reflective of the authority that you carry because you're in the royal family. Say it with me. I am royalty. I am royalty. I mean, you're in this family. You have this authority. Everything that Jesus did, you can do, and even greater things. You got to hold on to this. Baby, hold on to what you got, okay? Didn't that used to be a song? Oh, yeah, okay. Debbie, you know, Debbie, you knew that one? Okay. She was a little crazy back in Wisconsin, back in the day. All right. I've been in prayer groups where I felt like a moron after I prayed because people were correcting my authority in my prayer. And I've, I've just, I've been there. I pray with authority and pray with faith that God's going to do something and then somebody corrects me in the next prayer. I've had it happen. Do you realize that if you actually believe that you're a son and daughter of the king, that you have royal blood and because you do, you have the, you realize you're in a small group of people? That's okay. I always wanted to be in a small group of people that actually, that actually go for it and believe the right thing. Number seven, lastly. 
If we're not walking as the pillar of truth, the church will cease to offer refreshing and healing. I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, I spit you. Now, I, I heard my pastor preach this growing up, and many of you probably heard the same thing. He's so tired of you standing on the fence that he either wants you to go all the way in with him or live with the devil. You ever hear something like that? Either go all the way hot for God or go cold into Satanism. Yeah, there's no middle ground. You're either in or you're out. Now, it's, I mean, it's a fun sermon, especially when you use that voice. <laughs> but it's so not what the scriptures were saying. This was written to a church. I believe this was the Laodicea church. And their community was known for hot and cold springs all over. And people would come there to the cold springs for refreshing and to the hot springs for healing. How many know when your bones are stiff and the joints are stiff, there's nothing like a hot soak? Okay, so they, they cold for refreshing and hot for healing. So the Lord's saying, I wish that you were, you were like the springs in your city, that you either brought refreshing to people or healing to people, but you're not doing either, so I'm just going to spit you out. You're not, you're, now you're just like everybody else. Cities that, that have hot springs are known for it. Actually, some of them are even named after it. Cities that have cold springs, they're vacation destinations. People go to those places because of what they have to offer. I'm going to say it. We have people walk in our door simply because of what we have to offer. What do you mean, PB? I mean, we have a group of people that have seen the signs and wonders of God. We've seen angels. We've heard angels. We've worshiped the king. We've seen the resurrection. People come in for refreshing, and sometimes they're just here for a season. Sometimes they come here for healing, and they're just here for the day, and that's perfectly okay. But if we're not walking as a pillar of truth, we're not going to offer it. So what's the point? I don't want them to come to an impotent facility. I want them to come to a place where people are filled with the power and the authority of God. If we are the foundation of truth for our society, then... We will stay true to our first love. We will not yield to fear. We will turn from idolatry and sexual immorality. We will crush Jezebel in Jesus' name. We will be powerful. We will know who we are and the authority we have. We will offer refreshing and healing. That's the kind of church he's calling us to be. I didn't think I could get through all those verses in 38 minutes, but we managed to pull it off. I hope you jotted them down. Revelation is where we had all of those verses from. It's not going to get easier, folks. As people give in to fear, as more people struggle with poverty, if we don't have a radical change soon, if you want to know where we're headed, all you have to do is read about Venezuela because we're just a few years behind what they did. And as a matter of fact, they went full dictatorship this week. Mudero has declared himself the permanent president and all elections have been suspended because there's been so much voter fraud that they're not even going to count them. 
So in the last week, he has, he has made himself the permanent president. It went from this incredible nation to socialism, to hyper-socialism. Now they're in communism. Now they're in, well, what's the point? Well, it's just a governmental structure. No, communism is atheism. It's to get you to deny the lordship of Jesus. This is all connected because ultimately, government wants to be your daddy so that you no longer look to your heavenly father. 